The Truth News Network. A virus surfaces, and the elites shut down the world with a cocktail of lies, deceptions, pressures, threats, and violence, locking up the tellers of truth like political prisoners of the Cold War. Well, here we are, telling the truth, fighting the fight, the lies, the deception. TNN, the Truth News Network. And your fearless leader is Dan Newman. How? How can we determine who to listen to and to whom do we follow? Boy, that's the million-dollar question, and it begs an answer. Hello, everybody. Good morning. We're all in this together. (laughs) Make no mistake about it. There's no uh, magic pill. There's no um, secret hidden thing that uh, we need to dig up and find that's going to fix everything and give us all the answers. Unfortunately, that's not how this works. And I got to be honest with you, it's not how life works. We got to do it, folks. And the way to do it is one day at a time. Well, good morning. Yeah, I waited a second so you could kind of wake up. (laughs) You're halfway. You're halfway there, halfway to the weekend. Good thing about having a Monday holiday is that uh, it gives you a short week after that so you can get to the weekend, it seems, a little bit quicker. We're in, a, we're in a really important state here in the United States of America. We have a lot of big things on our agenda and big things that we need to take care of and not just gloss over and forget about them or take them for granted. Folks, we've got to stop taking everything in our lives for granted, all the good stuff. We look at other countries, and as Americans, we're always tempted to just automatically think we're better than everyone else. Why do we do that? And i got to be honest with you, it comes from a sense of complacency where we just take for granted the fact that this country has more opportunities for individuals than does any other country on planet Earth. That's a big deal. And we're so fortunate to live in a nation where we all are guaranteed the right to pursue anything that we want to pursue. Now, many have misinterpreted that to mean that I'm guaranteed. I get every opportunity that I want. Uh, No, what it guarantees is you have the opportunity to pursue all those things that you want. But it's not that way in many other countries. And we need to realize that we are very fortunate, extremely fortunate to have the rights, the privileges, and to be living in the greatest country in U.S. world history. we got to stop taking that for granted because it doesn't necessarily mean it's always going to be that way. And I'm not saying that uh, things are going to fall apart or anything like that, but I can tell you this unless we become stewards of what we have. And I mean when I say what we have, all of our rights and privileges, all of our opportunities, the good things and the bad things about this nation. Folks, it all goes in together. And this thing that we're living through and have been for the last 10 years or so, in which instead of finding commonality, we're finding differences and we're 
we're applauding the differences and making them more important than the whole. And folks, the whole of this nation is what makes it the greatest nation on earth. Not the individuals, but it's the fact that we have individuals from just about every spectrum of life that you can imagine. Skin color, ethnicity, nation of origin, sexual preference, religions, all melded into one big, amazing nation. One nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. That's a really big deal. And do you know how many billions of people on this globe would love to be able to say that about their country? We got to find answers. We have to reach consensus. We've got to stop applauding this divisiveness and excoriating others that think differently, that maybe look differently. A little bit later in the week, maybe over the weekend, I haven't decided yet, uh, I've been writing a story. And I'll just tell you now, here's the title. Critical race theory is nothing but racism. Critical race theory is nothing but racism. And the fundamental of this story that I'm pinning is that there's a huge move on that's been moving very slowly, but it's been moving in the direction of getting to a point where we as Americans are going to be forced to accept the fact that the only cure for racism is more racism. And there are people that are on major networks today. There are people that are all over Washington, D.C., in administrative offices, in the White House, um, in the military, in our education department, in our Department of Justice, all through our government folks that already believe that racism can only be fixed with racism, using that term that I despise in government, equity. Not equality, equity. And what's the difference? Well, equity, folks, equality is automatic. It's not something that we can manipulate. Equality is pure. It's equal. Whatever you're talking about in whatever perspective you're looking at that word, everything in it is the same. It's equal. You don't have to and you can't humanly adjust that. Equity, on the other hand, it's a great political tool. And there are many out there that have been and will continue to try to make Americans think that equity is the same thing as equality. And equality is guaranteed, so therefore equity must be guaranteed. The two are totally different. Equality, as I said, is pure. It stands alone. Equity means it can be manipulated to make an opinion appear to be the same thing as equality. These are just little tidbits that we pick up on. And fortunately, here's one thing that hasn't been destroyed that's really good in this nation so far, and it's our ability to investigate and find facts. There are those that really have abridged that and want to make it even more restrictive. People holding control over what other people can do, can think, can become. 
Do you realize how close that is, that whole concept that I just laid out, how close that is to Marxism and totalitarianism? You need to realize, folks, we're not that far away from that type of environment. I've always thought it would never happen here. It could never happen here. There's no way we would ever go for that. Americans wouldn't stand for it. But many of us are like those frogs in that pan of water. You take a pan of water, just room temperature. You put a frog in there, he'll just swim around. Turn the heat up on the oven below that pan of water. While the frog is in it, very slowly, the frog is going to stay there. Oh, he'll feel it getting warm. And then all of a sudden, about the time he realizes this is dangerously hot, it's too late. He'll boil. Of course, if that frog was put in a pan, if you just dropped him in a pan of water already boiling, he'd jump right out. We're that frog that the we've been in the pan of water that was room temperature, but it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And it may be too late for us when we realize this water is boiling, I'm in trouble. That's the picture of our nation that I do not want us to go to. And how do we keep away from that? Folks, we concentrate on truth. Yeah, we can look at problems. We can talk about problems. We should. But we shouldn't talk about problems in the context of OMG. Oh, my God. It's the end of the world. We can't ever go there, folks. We have to believe that we have the ability, we have the responsibility, and we should work for the common good of this nation continually. Put aside the petty partisanship. Oh my gosh, that'll never happen. Well, do we need another 9-11? Do we need another world war? Do we need a nuclear shot of some kind to awaken us to the fact that things need to be fixed? I don't know, folks. I hope it doesn't take something drastic like that. But look through, look back through American history. Most of the great changes have happened right after instigated, initiated by very catastrophic events in our nation. Floods, 9-11, the original 9-11, world wars, one and two. We learn from those things. And if we don't do anything but just learn the, and get the facts and we finally are slapped in the face seriously enough to where we'll accept the fact, whatever the fact is. I just hope we don't get to that point. But folks, I, I tell you what, you look around the world, you look at what we face every day. Look at what government is doing. Look at what government is not doing. Looking at the restrictiveness, look at the fear that's being sold to us by people of power. We could sit here all morning and talk about just those things. But folks, our fundamental premise has got to be, this is the greatest nation on earth. We have the rights to make it even better. We have the responsibility to make sure it doesn't get worse. We have the control of our government if we'll take control of our government. What do you mean, Dan? I'm not talking about 
turning over our government, overturning our government or any kind of insurrection. I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying is the democratic representative republic process that we have where we choose those who are going to serve us by being in power, places of authority. We have the right to make sure that our government is government of, government by, and government for the people. And there are those that have, many cases, stealthily tried to, in other cases, in your face, seize control of various aspects of government and shove things down our throats that they think is okay to do it the way they do it. When in the first place, they don't have the authority to do it. But are we going to let that continue to happen? Or are we going to hold our hands up and say, enough? We're the bosses. We the people are the bosses. If you're in government in Washington, you work for us. If you're in government in our state houses around each of our 50 states and our territories, you work for us. You are required by state, local, state, and federal laws to do things and to not do things, we, your bosses, are going to demand that you adhere to those. If you don't, we're going to remove remove you through the democratic process that we have sole authority over. We, the people, we've got to stand up. We've got to get this started, folks. Well, moving forward here today, on hump day, Congress, they're back in D.C., folks. They had quite a bit of a longer recess than you and I had for Labor Day, but they're back in D.C. Now, in many respects, that should be a good thing because they're going to go back to work, but I don't know, folks. they got so much going on up there now. I don't know that there's any way, especially legislatively, there's going to be much good come out of what's going on in D.C. now. Democrats, I got to be honest with you, Democrats, they control the Congress. They control the Senate, the House, and of course they control the White House. They're staring down a nightmare for themselves. This month of September is jam-packed with uh, deadlines and necessarily a bunch of fights over the top priorities of the Democrat Party. They can't even agree on what the biggies are, the most important things are. There are numerous legislative challenges. If you look at it in a, a timeline, a condensed, a shortened timeline, it's going to test Democrat unity and give them plenty of opportunities for the Republicans to lay some political traps. This is a big month in D.C. We're just a year away from the 2022 midterms where Republicans are feeling increasingly bullish about chances to regain control of the House and the Senate. So when they got there, and what they're doing now is they got to juggle to make sure that we don't have a government shutdown. Another one, Dan? We looking at another one? Yeah, in a matter of days, Democrats self-imposed deadline for an advancing that uh, infrastructure and spending package that is at the middle. It's the fundamental building block of the Biden administration, their economic and legislative agenda, and sparking, here we go, high-profile divisions, even in their own party. That's on top 
of that debt ceiling thing. I mean, it seems like once or twice every year we face that debt ceiling thing. That's where we get to where the government can't borrow any money, doesn't have any legal authority, and we have to raise the limit. We being the legislation, legislature has to raise the debt ceiling. And we have a voting rights clash that's set to come to the Senate floor mid-month. Oh, I'm sure you realize we still have some Afghanistan hoo-ha we got to resolve in the wake of that controversial Supreme Court decision. We've got a heated fight over abortion, too. (laughs) One Democrat in leadership said this. He kind of put it succinctly. I think it's a full agenda. Dick Durbin said that from Illinois. Tim Kaine ran for vice president under Hillary Clinton. He's a Democrat senator from Virginia. He said the Senate schedule is going to be crowded, but they're getting used to working weekends, and they're going to have to continue to do so. At least they know they're facing some real problems. Senators are back in D.C. They're coming in this weekend. They'll only be in for three days because of Yom Kippur, the Jewish holiday. The House, they're not going to come back into full session until September 20th. That leaves Democrats little time at all to finalize a $3.5 trillion spending package before they face some deadlines set by leadership in both the House and the Senate. Chuck Schumer on the Senate side, he's given his committees until the 15th of this month, one week from today, to finalize their parts of the spending package so the Democrats can then start negotiating the bill within their 50-member caucus in the Senate. Part of a days-long standoff, House moderates got a commitment to bring up the other piece of Biden's package, a roughly $1 trillion Senate-passed infrastructure bill, and they're pushing for that to face a vote by the 27th of this month, just days after they get back from their long summer break. Democrats are still trying to lock down how to pay for the package. Go figure. Legislation. And the Congress is trying to find ways to pay for it. They just go borrow money every time they find something they want to pass. Affordable Care Act. Medicare changes. Expansions of it. Climate change. All their goodies. They're never going to get this stuff done this month. I just wanted to point those things out. By the time they all get back, they're going to have less than half a month to do. Folks, this Congress can't do one thing, not one big piece that we're talking about here can they get done, which means we're going to go through another month, the month of September 2021, where squat gets done. And it costs us, listen to this, taxpayer money to run the United States Congress, every phase of it from top to bottom, $4 billion. $4 billion gone, poof, like that. So looking at that, those actual two infrastructure bills that are out there, got the $3.5 trillion, that's a, a dream list for Democrats, and then there's a real infrastructure bill, and it's about a trillion dollars. Well, the swing man in this whole thing is 
a very moderate Democrat from West Virginia, Senator Joe Manchin. He's a Democrat. And he put the word out privately to everybody in the White House and congressional leaders that he is very concerned with the biggie, the $3.5 trillion spending dream. And he said he's going to support only a part of it, maybe as little, if you can call $1 trillion a little, but there's only a trillion dollars in the bill that he's going to support. At most, reportedly, he's open to supporting $1.5 trillion. Now, what does that mean, folks? They don't technically have control of the Senate. They've got a 50-50 split between Democrats and Republicans. Of course, the vice president is the one who cast any deciding vote when there's a tie, Kamala Harris. Nobody knows if she's going to be in D.C. Nobody knows where the heck she is. She certainly isn't doing anything in government. And when she does open her mouth, something stupid comes out, unfortunately for Americans. But she would be the one that, if it came down to a 50-50 vote, she would cast the deciding vote. But if Manchin should, on this one particular thing, vote with Republicans, their big dream is toast. That's just one thing they've got to deal with. I mean, it's just one thing after another, folks. One thing after another. So we've gotten started here, but looking ahead for the rest of the two hours. What are we going to get into? I've got the most unbelievable synopsis, factual synopsis, of what's going on right now in the COVID-19 world. Do we want to do that right now? Let's do this. Let's take a short break. On the other side of this break, folks, we're going to wade into this. And let me tell you what you need to do. If you got somebody that's really worried about all these COVID things, I mean really bad. You know, we have people that it's, it's important to. We have people that don't really give a rip, mostly young kids, people 20 and young, younger where COVID doesn't seem to despise them like it does the rest of us. But if you've got people that are really worried about this, that are glued to the television, can't wait for the news to find out what the latest horrors and tragedies of COVID-19 are. We're going to take a two-minute break. When we come back on the other side, you get them online watching this show. I've got some facts that are going to blow your mind. And we've got a lot more that we've got to talk about. But let's start right there today. We're back in two minutes with COVID-19 stuff at TNN Live. A divorce lawyer should be more than just a lawyer. Divorce is like no other experience, especially for guys. At Cordell & Cordell, our clients want a partner standing next to them. Someone they can trust. Someone who understands where they are and how to get them out. We are the attorneys of Cordell & Cordell. We are advisors and advocates for men. Before, during, and after divorce. We are Cordell & Cordell. A partner men can count on. To schedule your appointment, give us a call or visit us online at CordellCordell.com. In every age, a technology is created that upends the foundations of society. The wheel, the printing press, the internet. Now, in a world sliding into financial chaos, a new technology is changing the way monetary systems work around the world. It is called Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a new form of money, controlled not by banks, governments, or corporations, but through mutual commerce between free individuals. To learn more, visit WeUseCoins.com. 
Summer seems even brighter when you've been inside a while. It's time to drive again with Honda, KBB.com's 2020 Best Value Brand. You could get a great deal on the 2020 Passport or 2020 Pilot, with financing as low as 0.9% APR on select models. Visit the Honda Summer Clearance Event today. For well-qualified buyers, see dealer for financing details based on 2020 brand image or from Kelly Blue Book. Visit KBB.com for more information. Wendy's famous 4 for 4 is heating up with a new spicy crispy chicken sandwich. The queen of spice is delivering that spicy chicken you love with lettuce and mayo between two deliciously soft buns. And yes, in classic 4 for 4 fashion, you can get all that spicy goodness with spicy or crispy nuggets, fries, and a drink to cool off, all for just 4 bucks. Is it getting hot in here? Or did Wendy's just deliver the hottest deal in fast food? We got you. Offer includes four-piece nuggets, junior frying value drink. Price participation may vary. Folks that know me know I'm not really into country music. I'm not a big country music fan. Now, there are some out there that I like, um, more that is more leaning towards the contemporary side, but nevertheless. A lot of a lot of folks, especially in the South, like them some country music. Just thought I'd throw that little tidbit in there. So let's just go on over and jump into COVID world. Now let me let me paint the scenario for you. Obviously, COVID nineteen is extremely serious. There are people that are really really deathly ill. I have a close friend that lives in San Antonio. Um, he's an Hispanic guy. Got a great family. Good Christian people, hardworking Christian people. Um, he and his wife have been big contributors in their community. They lived here in northwest Louisiana for a number of years. We became close friends. Our kids became close. And then the job transferred them back down to um, southern Texas. And he and his wife both got COVID-19 about 45 days ago. And folks two of probably the most difficult cases of COVID-19, especially in Al's case that I've even seen or heard of. He was in a hospital on a vent for weeks. Um, we thought he would never recover. Thank God he did, but his recovery's been really, really slow. He uh, is a, a year or two younger than me. I think maybe two years younger than me. And, uh, I mean, he had, he had to go into rehab facility for weeks just to regain his ability to walk and do muscular things. It was really that bad. I would never diminish the fact that COVID-19 is serious. So never take anything you hear here at Truth News Network to be a negative thing about or a, a belief that COVID-19 is not a real issue because it is. What I'm certain and every day become more and more certain of is that a lot and when I say a lot, I'm talking about far more than half of the information we get spoon-fed to us by these medical experts is not true. Now, what do you base that on? Okay, let me just start right there. What do we base that on? I said more than half of what we're hearing day in, day out from the medical experts, people like Dr. Anthony Fauci, is not true. Let's start with Fauci. Before we get into the um, 
to the substance of the specific things that he has told us over and over and over again were factual, that were not factual, and then there's probably just as many things that he said one time were factual that he came back later and totally discredited but never acknowledged the fact that he was wrong or mistaken the first time. Let's forget about that for a second. Let's talk about this one thing. And it's kind of been dancing around the perimeter of all things COVID-19 for 18 months. What is that, Dan? It's the source of COVID-19. Where did it come from? How did it happen to get into uh, the atmosphere of the world? Not just the United States, not just Asia, but every country on earth. How did all that happen? You know, we've talked about this gain of function thing. If you weren't ever with us and don't understand what it is, it's very simple. Often in laboratory settings, when there are bacteria, especially serious bacteria or viruses, um, there's a process that is used by laboratory science to find a way, the best or one of the easiest way to find a way to kill that, to attack it, is to, in, in a lab setting only, is to find ways to make it more transmittable. In other words, if it uh, is something that only appears initially in animals, you find a way to change it genetically or alter it or add things to it in a laboratory setting um, so that it gets even more powerful because in most cases when it's a virus especially, when it gets into the population, it does have genetic alterations that come through nature which make it tougher to beat long term. And so in a laboratory setting, making this change happen is called gain of function. Well, the word came out back during the end of the Obama administration that there was gain of function laboratory work being done on SARS. SARS, it, there's, there's actually over 2,000 versions of SARS. Most people don't realize that. MRSA, MRSA was probably the most critical one before SARS-CoV-2, which is COVID-19. And the Wuhan Institute of Virology in Wuhan, China, is an international virology lab that a lot of very famous, very, uh, very, very good scientists, research scientists, have been in from different countries around the world. And they go from country to country, and they do a lot of this kind of research. That has been the epicenter. That lab has been the epicenter of the beginning of what we were told about the research on COVID-19. And there's always been this thing out there back even in 2019. Three scientists died mysteriously that were working on SARS uh, discovery about its sources in that laboratory. Conventional wisdom said, and it was brought out at the very beginning of this, that gain-of-function research in that lab got out of hand and SARS was made, manipulated, to be transmissible not through animals but to humans and then from human to human. Well, funding of the United States, grants that were happening on Dr. Anthony Fauci's watch were rumored to have gone to the Wuhan Institute of Virology to fund 
gain-of-function research on COVID-19 when it first came out way back in March, April of 2020 last year on an international stage every day. Fauci, when he was asked, he said, there's no way. We have never funded gain-of-function research on COVID-19. We never have, we never have, we never have, over and over and over again. Well, through the last 18 months, that appears to not be true. So, listen to this. This this is kind of a very calm story narrative perspective about Fauci's involvement in the gain-of-function research that happened at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Well, the lab leak theory is continuing to gain momentum and there are now concerns Dr. Anthony Fauci lied when he was under oath while speaking at Senate in July. Newly released documents obtained by The Intercept show the National Institute of Health directed a grant of $3.1 million to the US health organization, EcoHealth Alliance. Dr. Fauci is the director of National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases and oversees several programs at the NIH. According to The Intercept, just shy of $600,000 of the $3.1 million went straight to the Wuhan Institute of Virology to study bat coronaviruses that could jump to humans. This concept has now become one of the leading theories as to how coronavirus originated. While Dr. Fauci acknowledged the NIH did provide funding to the EcoHealth Alliance, the money was not gain-of-function research. Gain-of-function is the medical research that alters an organism or disease in a way that increases pathogenesis, transmissibility or host range. However, biologist Alina Chan wrote an assessment on the new documents and said, In this proposal, they actually point out that they know how risky this work is. They keep talking about people potentially getting bitten, and they kept records of everyone who got bitten. Does EcoHealth have those records? And if not, how can they possibly rule out a research-related accident? Dr Anthony Fauci faced Senate in July, where Republican Senator Rand Paul accused the disease expert of lying under oath and that the research funded was technically gain-of-function. This research matches, these are Dr. Ebright's words, this research matches, indeed epitomizes, the definition of -of gain-of-function research done entirely in Wuhan, for which there was supposed to be a federal pause. Dr. Fauci, knowing that it is a crime to lie to Congress, do you wish to retract your statement of May 11th where you claimed that the NIH never funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan? Senator Paul, I have never lied before the Congress, and I do not retract that statement. This paper that you are referring to was judged by qualified staff up and down the chain as not being gain of function. Richard Epbright, a molecular biologist at Rutgers University, had access to the documents and tweeted this thread. He said... The documents make it clear that assertions by the NIH Director Francis Collins and the NIAID Director Anthony Fauci that the NIH did not support gain-of-function research or potential pandemic pathogen enhancement at the Wuhan Institute of Virology are untruthful. The materials show that the 2014 and 2019 NIH grants to EcoHealth with subcontracts to the Wuhan Institute of Virology funded gain-of-function research as defined in federal policies in effect in 2014 to 2017 and potential pandemic pathogen enhancement as defined in federal policies in effect in 2017 to present. 
The material confirmed the grant supported the construction in Wuhan of novel chimetic SARS-related coronaviruses that combined a spike gene from one coronavirus with genetic information from another coronavirus and confirmed the resulting viruses could infect human cells. The documents also showed that a separate study on genetically engineered mice with human cell receptors was also conducted. Mr. Epright tweeted, The materials reveal that the resulting novel laboratory-generated SARS-related coronaviruses also could infect mice engineered to display human receptors on cells, humanised mice. These tweets prompted Senator Rand Paul to again accuse Dr. Fauci of lying. He wrote... Surprise, surprise, Fauci lied again, and I was right about his agency funding novel coronavirus research at Wuhan. Wisconsin Congressman Mike Gallagher backed up Rand Paul on Fox News. He also believes there are things the United States can do to investigate the origins of COVID-19 without the cooperation of China. To me, it confirms what we've known for months, which is that Fauci lied to us. He lied to Congress. He knew that our taxpayer dollars were being administered by his organization to third parties like EcoHealth Alliance to do cooperative research, gain of function research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And when questioned about it, he hid behind a highly legalistic definition. But more to the point, he was lying. And the fact that he still has a job is an affront to the hundreds of thousands of Americans who have suffered, if not died, under coronavirus. And then I add on to this the fact that we. We now have the 90-day intelligence review from the Biden administration, which came back with nothing. Yep. That's unacceptable. And it's said that we, ha- we can't get to the bottom of this until we have the co-op- cooperation of the Chinese. That is bogus. That is a cop-out. There are a ton of things we can do. And let's start by subpoenaing Peter Daszak and his entire corrupt organization to get answers. We cannot accept these lies to be the final answer. Congressman, uh, Senator Josh Hawley is demanding that Fauci step down. Are you? Absolutely. At a minimum, at a minimum, he should step down and we should have a full, transparent investigation to untangle the complex web of U.S. taxpayer dollars funding this type of research. So here we are now. Let's just be let's just be blunt. Fauci lied. Fauci lied about government, U.S. government taxpayer dollars funding gain of function research to enhance the transmissibility between humans of COVID-19. Now the question, the only question that should be asked now is why? Why, not why did they do it? Because many people will tell you there's only two possible reasons for doing it. One is to learn more by making it more powerful so that when it gets into people in the general public, if it ever does, You've got to have the big bad stuff to combat it with. So how do you do that? You find out how tough it is, and then you find a way to combat the toughest version of SARS-CoV-2. That's number one. Number two would be to use it for something. A lot of people think the Chinese were funding the development in that laboratory of COVID-19 to use it as a bioweapon. That story's still out there, and it's still not confirmed that it is or isn't what was being done with it. But folks, the important thing that comes out of this whole thing is not what this was about, so much so as it is of who and how this whole thing came together. And it took an 18-month 
time period for it to ever come all the way back around and prove that Dr. Anthony Fauci not only lied then, but he's lying over and over and over again now. And facts prove that he was lying. It creates a great conundrum. What is that conundrum? Very simply, if you know somebody lies and then doubles and triples and quadruples down on that first lie when they've been given ample opportunity in public again and again and again to come forward and say, I misrepresented it or find a, you know, a smooth, easy way to get by, but admitting what was said was not the truth. Instead of doing that, Fauci just keeps repeating the same lie. Folks, that's very scary for a lot of reasons. I'm not a shrink. I have no desire to ever be in the psychological community. I have a lot of respect for people in there, and I don't see how they deal with it. It is so contentious, and uh, every time they meet with somebody, it's because of really bad stuff. I have a lot of respect for that. And I don't know a lot, but I do know one thing about a pathological liar. A pathological liar is somebody that either biologically or by choice, they make constant, incessant lying part of who they are and what they espouse and what they say and what they write. Fauci's a pathological liar. The evidence is based upon the story we just we just told you. Over and over and over and over again, a pathological liar begins to believe their lies or either they don't even consider what they say that's untruth to be a lie. Here's a guy that's considered to be the number one virologist on planet Earth and he's been caught telling a lie and mingled in the substance of the lie he told of the deaths of millions of people worldwide making decisions and choices based on what he has said and what he has intimated over and over and over again to be factual to us and to everyone else that hears Dr. Fauci or reads what he says. Here's the big question. Knowing that, are you, first of all, ever going to believe anything he says is truthful again? And secondly, if you can get by that, you know, can I ever believe him? And your answer happens to be, okay, I can believe him sometimes. Which thing does he say that you're willing to bet your life on as being truthful? I'll say that again. If you can get by the fact that he lies incessantly about this one issue, you never know about, is he telling the truth or is he lying about other issues? not just COVID issues, but anything else. And so are you ever going to be willing to believe him about anything he says? So where's this super, super big thing you were telling us about we were going to discuss regarding COVID-19? I wanted to start with Fauci for this purpose. He has built a narrative very slowly, very deliberately, But his narrative, and it's changed timing-wise, pretty much every 90 days, it changes. There's a traumatic thing in COVID-19, and he always seems to come back 
uh, every 90 days to us and say, uh-oh, here's what's about to happen. you got to get ready. We've got these variants out there. The Delta was the first, and it's worse. It's 100 times worse or, it, worse or it's 200, whatever the number is. But he creates a narrative and puts that in the mind of the people. The only way he could be successful in doing that is convincing us 18 months ago he's the COVID god that he is infallible at anything that he says, positive or negative, going on in COVID world. And what's the common thing in all of that? It is a scenario, um, a picture, a happening, a moment in time in which everybody looks to Fauci for all the answers. And everybody is hanging on every word breathlessly waiting for him to endow us with the truth. Folks, he's a little guy, small guy. And remember, I am not a shrink, not a psychiatrist, but I'm a 68-year-old man, and I've been around a lot of different people, professional football, business, all kinds of businesses all around the world and here in the United States. A lot of little guys try to overcompensate for what they just intrinsically feel is a deficit that they have, which they really don't because of their stature. And they try to make themselves to others to be bigger physically. And that means they must make themselves seem smarter, better, more informed, more enlightened than people around them. We are right now today, we are looking at the next big mountain and COVID-19. And folks, it's not about COVID-19 itself. It's about a false narrative that has been spun, initiated, and the whole platform built by Anthony Fauci and then added on to by a bunch of other so-called medical experts that in some cases are just like Fauci, but in other cases, they're hung up with that doctor thing that I know intimately inside and out. Almost every doctor, unfortunately, deals with what we call a God complex because they're so educated, because they are endowed with the lives, literally the lives of the people that they see day in, day out. I mean, think about it. Every day around the world, there are doctors that have their hands in the chest of people around people's hearts and lungs. They're in their brains physically. A lot of doctors take that as an endowment of some special trait or characteristic that only they have. And it turns into a quest for power and adoration from people around them. I'm serious, folks. All of what I just told you is a platform that we have watched being built. Most of us innocently watching it, trusting, believing, hoping. And what's the current big thing that has been built? It's this wave of COVID-19. Cases have just skyrocketed. They've gone through the roof. Hospitals full to the brim. Intensive care units not open. Uh, They're just full. They can't have any more patients come in. People on vents, 
Remember back at the very beginning, we ran out of ventilators. New York State, New York City were screaming at the federal government, get us ventilators, only to find out after the death of thousands of Americans. Needlessly, COVID-19, its fundamental killing tool is that it creates huge amounts of inflation in people's lungs, inflammation. And people can't get their blood oxygenated. And what these ventilators were doing, and here at TNN Live, we're not doctors, we know a little bit about it, but the whole purpose of a ventilator is to take over the breathing process for the patient who's incapable of doing it sufficiently on their own. Because breathing, what that does is it fills our lungs with oxygen as our heart pumps blood through our lungs and Our lungs oxygenate the blood that then goes out to our bodies. With all of the COVID inflammation in those lungs, ventilators were pushing blood through people's lungs so fast their blood couldn't be oxygenated. And they basically were suffocating to death. We played one 15-minute audio bite back a year and a half ago, probably in April, a doctor in New York City, Mount Sinai Hospital. He was putting patients on ventilators, watching other doctors do the same thing, and they were dying left and right. They couldn't understand why. He is a pulmonologist. Those are doctors that are specialists at the heart-lung-blood thing through the lungs getting oxygenated, all of that kind of stuff. And he was trying to tell us his people there at Mount Sinai, other physicians, these ventilators or the problem, we shouldn't be putting people on ventilators and unless it's a last resort. We should be putting them on pure oxygen. And guess what? They started doing that. And the death count went down. The ICU bed occupancy went down all around the nation. And then here comes Fauci back with another horror story that he builds. And then it's one thing after another. What's the latest thing? As I told you, case numbers going through the roof. Well, unfortunately for Dr. Fauci, the FDA comes out and says, hey, wait a minute, all these PCR tests that we've been shoving down the throats of Americans and other people around the world doing the same thing, they're giving false positive results so much so that we're discontinuing their use. We're not recommending using PCR tests. We're considering other test types right now that are more accurate, and we're going to segue into those others. But oddly enough, the FDA said they weren't going to do that until December of this year. So we are still seeing all of these positive cases come up around the nation, and they've already told us, many of them, that come back positive. How many of them? Reports are as many as half that are saying this patient is positive for COVID, aren't positive for COVID. They've got some other respiratory situation. Again, I'm not diminishing that people are really ill. The tragedy is when the PCR test is inaccurate, but the doctor makes a diagnosis based on the quote-unquote opinion of the efficacy of a PCR test, that doctor is going to treat that patient based on the perceived results, 
not necessarily based on the facts because the PCR test is giving incorrect information. Now, how do you know that, Dan? We've told you from the very beginning of this, rather than look at the case numbers, we need to concentrate and make a plan based on the seriousness of those that are diagnosed with the disease. Let's not treat the symptoms. Let's treat the disease instead. So here's what I did. Painstakingly, last evening, I went to the place where we can't say have any fallacy in information, the Centers for Disease Control, their website. And I got a month-by-month breakdown from January a year ago through last month. In the United States, the death count, official cause of death, COVID-19. Now, why did you do that, Dan? We know that a lot of people have died. No doubt about it, the numbers are staggering in some cases. But here's the reason I did it. The latest buildup of, hey, we're going to die. And did you hear now? There's another variant around the corner that Anthony Fauci is warning us about. It's the MU, M-U variant, that it's coming right behind and it's fixing to be loosed on the nation again, just like Delta. Well, we look at the last 90 days and they tell us hospitals are filling up again. People are dying again. It's horrible. It's horrible. Real quickly, go grab a piece of paper and a pen. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to do it. You're going to write down these numbers. I I demand you write down these numbers so that you can look at them. I'd sing you a 30-second jingle or something, but I can't do that. Let's just wait a second. You got big weekend plans? I got a hectic weekend coming up. A really hectic one. I'm going to South Louisiana Friday night for a football game. Coming back after that game to Northwest Louisiana. Going over into East Texas for a men's conference. Leaving that. Going to Dallas. Catching a plane to California. Going to be in California late Saturday. Coming back Saturday night, leaving Sacramento at midnight. (laughs) It's going to be a long way. It's going to be a good one. Okay, you got your pen and paper. These are the month-by-month deaths, official deaths in the nation at the hands of COVID-19, starting back January of 2020. You ready? January 2020, six deaths nationwide. February, 19, and then COVID took off. March, 7,154, April, 65,461, May, 38,297, June, 18,005, July of last year, 31,111, August, 29,881, September, 19,000, 138. October, 24,905. November, here we go again, going up, 53,206. December, 98,048. January this year, 104,265. But then, Along about the time we were hearing about the Delta variant, 
we expected numbers to take off. Listening to Dr. Fauci, listening to the media, the mainstream media, uh uh-oh, here we go, it's going to go crazy again. January 2021 again was 104,265. February, 46,931. March, 22,693. April, 18,312. May, and this is when they started preaching, Delta variants here, hospitals flooded. Remember I told you when we were getting the occupancy and the intensive care occupancy, and we were having people lined up in, in halls on gurneys because there was no place for them in hospitals. My son is an executive in a Dallas hospital. He gave me their bed counts, and they have three hospitals, about 4,000 beds in Dallas-Fort Worth. None of the numbers that we were hearing in the mainstream media matched the actual numbers that we were able to get that were factual. March, 22,693. April, 18,312. May, when it's really getting bad nationwide. I mean, the variants are crazy. People are dying everywhere. 14,366 in May. 7,010 in June. What about July? This is when they went crazy. Everybody's going to die. Nationwide, folks, in July, 1,208, the lowest monthly death number of COVID-19 since February of 2020. Well, maybe that's just a fluke thing. What about last month? We know it got bad last month. Well, remember, July, I told you, was 1,208. August... 727, 727. What's going on, Dan? Well, let's put that in a little bit in context. How about total deaths every month in the United States? How many people die every month? Well, again, according to the CDC this year, 7,822 people die every month, excuse me, daily, every month, every month, every day, all combined. What are the leading causes of death, Dan? Every day, 2,050 people die from heart disease. Every day, 1,621 people die of cancer. Where's COVID on that list? All the way down at 700. Does anything stick out there to you? Does anything stick out? I'm not saying people aren't getting sick. I'm not saying people are checking in for false purposes into emergency rooms, struggling. What I'm saying, folks, there's got to be something that we're missing, something like... uh, What's really going on? Are they treating the wrong disease? Are they treating the wrong symptom? Well, one thing we do know, we don't get the flu anymore. Absolutely not. Nobody dies from the flu anymore. 
And when I say that, I'm not being facetious. You look at the numbers from last year. Look at the numbers year to date here. There's no flu. And what real experts are saying, the doctors that are coming out and are challenging, and when I say the doctors that are coming out that are challenging Fauci, I'm not talking about just one or two. I'm talking about hundreds, thousands of very reputable doctors that work every day with patients, COVID patients. Fauci has never treated, never been in charge of a case of a COVID patient, not one. He's a laboratory guy. Yet he's the guy that is telling all these doctors that deal with the likes of you and me. He's telling them how to do it and what to do and what the truth is and what not the truth. He's totally blowing away and just ignoring the things that the doctors that are treating patients are saying is going on the reality. Hospital plans that they put in place, the criteria that they use for everything, the experts are telling them. I'll give you an example. When this all began, my doctor, as I told you, my wife got a bad case of COVID-19. She struggled with the traditional treatments. And then our doctor put her on hydroxychloroquine. And she had pneumonia in one lung. And it was getting worse. He put her on a cocktail of hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, zinc, and a breathing treatment. Three days, she was perfect. My older brother, same thing. His wife, same thing. Their son and daughter-in-law, same thing. Friends around town, same thing. People that we know that were going to a hospital were being told, you can't get in the hospital. We're not going to prescribe hydroxychloroquine or, of late, ivermectin. Their protocol doesn't have it included, so they won't do it, and you can't make them do it. The experts are shaping the whole way this is being done. The science, as the science meets the road, is not what is being relied on and being used. So what's going on? I got to be totally honest with you. The only thing that I can come up with as a legitimate answer, the only thing that sounds plausible is a power thing. Rand Paul, months and months and months ago, he's a libertarian, senator from Kentucky, very outspoken, is an arch nemesis for Dr. Fauci because Rand Paul is a doctor too. Rand Paul's a doctor that treats patients when he's not in Congress. That's what he did in his career. Fauci was a research guy. Um, Rand Paul said that he thinks this entire thing is a test by the power group. I don't know who that is, and we're not going to get into conspiracy stuff. But just whoever it is, I think it's an autocratic group of people that want to take over control of our representative republic democracy. A group of very powerful people. And they're seeing, they're watching what's going on around the nation. They're seeing just how much of our freedoms and our liberties that Americans are willing to give up. 
based on things that we're being told by our leaders are facts, and they're not. You read today's stories, it's about mandates, mask mandates, vaccination mandates, vaccination passports, once again. How much of our freedoms, our liberties, are we willing to give up in the name of liberty when we're finding out a little more every day what we're being told, what we have been told to do, not to do, what's right, what's wrong, or not truthful. Real Truth, Real News, TNN, the Truth News Network. Uh-oh, guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? Huh? Anybody? Julie, hey, guess what day it is? Oh, come on, I know you can hear me. Mike, 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 what day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie, guess what today is? It's hump day. Ronnie, how happy are folks who save hundreds of dollars switching to Geico? I'd say happier than a camel on Wednesday. Hump day! Get happy. Get Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Lights, camera, movie. There's nothing like watching a movie to take you to another place or time. And there's no better place to watch than Chrome Cinema. And no better time than the time it takes you to get from where you are to where we are. You'll break box office records of fun as you take a trip to Tinseltown Movieville, USA. Action! Cut quiet on the set! Our theaters feature noise-absorbing fabric, guaranteeing the only thing you hear is the movie. That high-pitched shuttle drone is normal. It's the sound your ears hear when there's nothing for your ears to hear here. So come on down and enjoy the movies where everyone's a star. New Dunkin' Refreshers. Vibrant fruit flavors like strawberry, dragon fruit, and peach passion fruit. B vitamins and energy from green tea. All under 200 calories. Order ahead via the Dunkin' app for a contactless way to order, pay, and pick up in the drive-thru. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. In a world of sizzle over substance, in a world where the evidence doesn't stand taller than the agenda, in a world where the facts are not compelling enough to convince, you're enrolled in a university of reality. TNN. The Truth News Network. And again, Professor Dan Newman. So when you walk down this hallway, walk down this road, and what we have been taught are truthful, and we've just digested those and made them part of our psyche, our makeup, now, you know, we just automatically think this is true. Then when the facts don't align with what we have come to believe as facts, what do we do? Do we just cow down and basically continue down that continue down that path that we know based on facts is not the right path to be on? What are we going to do? Just got you thinking, folks. That's what this is all about. Right now, think about it. COVID-19, we have that going on. Our economy, we have that going on. We've got the flood of illegals. Illegals coming across our southern border. All of a sudden, when Afghanistan came to the forefront of uh, our conversations and consumed all of our news time, our FaceTime and everything that we were being spoken to about, television, we read about it in news media, online and newsprint. We just forgot about it our southern border stuff, but it's still going on. And folks, it's getting worse. While we've been asleep, while we've been diverted by, you know, here's the southern border, it's in the government's right hand, and we dealt with it for months and months and months and months, and all of a sudden, 
they raise the left hand and there's something that looks and appears to be more tragic, and it is tragic, Afghanistan, and they just quietly put the right hand behind the back like there's nothing there anymore. But the craziness at the southern border is still there. Yeah, we've got the southern border. We've got COVID-19. We have economic disaster. Oh, my gosh. We have a government that does nothing but spend money and spend money. And we have voting still, election issues that are unresolved, things from 2020 that showed their ugly heads. And we still have a ruling class of people that are saying, you can't pay attention to that. Yeah, there are going to be minor numbers of cheats in an election. You know, when you got so many millions of people voting, it's bound to happen. But, you know, overall, everything went smoothly. And then every day, something else pops up. Facts pop up that discount what they're telling us were the efficacy of all of our elections, all 50 states. You're about to see the furor turned up again by the left because that election bill, H.R. 1, is set for the Senate to listen to debate on and make a deciding decision on whether or not we are going to, unconstitutionally, by the way, but we are going to hand control of all of our elections, all 50 states and our territories, over to the federal government in Washington to run from top to bottom instead of state by state. This is the way this government, this administration, is wanting government to be run. It's not to find a smooth overall pathway to move forward together as a nation and just facing every conflict, every negative thing that comes up, every challenge, and just very quietly pushing through it and solving it as each one comes up. They don't want to do that. They want it to be one crisis and then a little short valley period of peace and then another crisis and then a little short moment of peace and then another crisis. And now, folks, governing that way, look what's happened. I mean, bam, bam, bam. California's burning, Afghanistan, southern border crisis, COVID-19, voting problems, foreign policy problems, economic problems, COVID-19. It's just layer after layer of insanity that's just thrown out there whenever it seems politically expedient. We can't live in that kind of world. It won't work that way. And so let's just for a moment talk about this economy thing. President Biden is asking Congress to authorize $6.4 billion more in taxpayer money. What for this time, Dan? Uh, to bring a few folks to the United States to resettle them here permanently. Who's he talking about? Afghans. We've dealt with this at the southern border for years. And now he just throws another little bomb at the American people. Hey, uh, I decided we want to bring 95,000 Afghans from Afghanistan. Now, please be calm. We don't know who they are. We haven't been able to vet them all. 
you know, we're talking about Afghanistan. Those people over there, they don't have the abilities that we have. We're far more advanced technologically. We can find out about all these people. So we have been bringing them over by the thousands, and we've got them on these military bases now where we're making sure they're, you know, being vetted, going through our process. Folks, that's BS. That's BS. The first report that came out of such a situation was a report where reportedly 2,000 Afghans that had flown directly from Afghanistan to Wisconsin, a military base in Wisconsin, 2,000. All, each of those 2,000 were supposedly holders of those SVI passports. Those represent people that through the years have been working closely with our military and our intelligence officers in Afghanistan, and they did so with the promise that should things turn south over there, we would make sure they were gotten out of Afghanistan with their family members, and that's what we supposedly did. And then we find out, we find out by a Republican congressman that represents that district in Wisconsin, he goes back to that military basis, and here's what he discovered. Not one of the 2,000 Afghans who were supposedly SVI passport holders, not a single one holds an SVI passport. And to exacerbate that, we have no clue of the true identities of these Afghan people that are now on American soil. Now, what does that mean, Dan? That's just one little pocket. Joe Biden wants taxpayers to fund $6.4 billion to permanently resettle almost 100,000 Afghans here in the United States. Now, this popped out in a call yesterday with reporters. Biden didn't do it himself. Some of his officials did. They said the White House is going to request that $6.4 billion. Pro-mass migration groups had asked Biden to authorize $8 billion. Now, can you imagine if you gave this administration or any administration a blank check and just signed it over, $8 billion, do with it what you want. Well, they say that roughly $1.7 billion will go toward funding and resources to the Afghans to help them set up a new home in the United States. So let me get this straight. We promised we would bring them over here, so we brought 2,000 over here. That They were not the people we promised we would bring over here. So what, is, what does Biden do? How does he fix it? There's no little notification to the American people. Look, we, we had to get a lot of these people out quickly. As you know, it was a mess. We just had to make decisions, snap decisions. But we're vetting them on the backside. Instead of saying that, we're going to hold them, And nobody else is going to come unless each and until each one is vetted and we find out they're not a bunch of terrorists. Turns out, a bunch of them are. I'm not talking specifically about that group in Wisconsin. But a bunch of the Afghans that have stopped along the way, like principally Qatar, the nation of Qatar, that have agreed and they help us when we get there to actually do some vetting on 500 of those people that are supposedly peaceful Afghans have been found out when before they get here so far 
500 have been on terrorist watch lists. But these people were supposed to be vetted before they left Afghanistan. So the Biden administration wants us to trust him and his administration. His Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, that should be, he can't lead a Boy Scout pack. He shouldn't be in American government at all. He's feckless. He's made horrible decisions. And he's lied over and over and over again. Jake Sullivan, National Security Advisor in the White House to President Biden, same kind of person, lie after lie, misrepresentation after misrepresentation. Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, same thing, in the tank, far-left totalitarianists, wants us to just open the gates and let everybody, anybody, come to the United States, and we don't even have to know who they are, what they did, what they represent, what they're bringing with us. It could be criminal activity, horrible criminal records, which many of them we found out later have. And, oh, by the way, that COVID thing, we don't test them at the southern border. The administration's goal to resettle in the U.S., those 95,000 Afghans, is the very first glimpse into Biden's massive resettlement operation. The largest since Barack Obama brought more than 12,000 Syrians. You remember that back in 2012? Obama brought 12,000 Syrians here. Congress, by the way, didn't step in and have anything to do with that. And we shouldn't even think one moment about that being an issue. After all, Biden, excuse me, Obama told us he had a cell phone and a pen. And in other words, I can talk to anybody. I can use this pen to sign an executive order and do anything I want to. Though Biden has pitched the Afghan resettlement as a commitment to the nation's allies from the Afghanistani war. And as we told you, we already know <laughs> that the people that he has allowed, and Antony Blinken, our Secretary of State, have allowed to come over here, very few of them are those people that actually worked with us and had those agreements with us and are SVI passport holders. That's another lie. SIV. I'm, I'm, I'm saying SVI. It's SIV. Those visa programs are reserved only for Afghans and their families, for those who work directly for the U.S. Armed Forces. Instead, the majority of these that are arriving are on what's called, now listen to this, you won't hear this, but this is what it's legally called, humanitarian parole. And some are coming on refugee status. Humanitarian parole. That means they can come over here and they're on parole while they're being vetted. An estimated 50,000 Afghans are going to be brought to the U.S. as some of these parolees, where they will stay at a number of U.S. military bases and receive a one-time $1,250 payment. That comes out of that $6.4 billion that Joe wants us to give him. So where are we getting him? Well, some of them, as I said, very few of them came directly. Afghans are being extracted from Afghanistan, then flown to third safe countries like Germany, Spain, Qatar, 
before they flow, uh, fly into Dulles International Airport in Virginia and Philadelphia International Airport in Pennsylvania. Most of them arrive in the U.S. have not. Most of them, more than half. That's they, what they tell us. They say, oh, most of them. It could be 90%. We don't know. Over the last 20 years, a million refugees have been resettled here. More than double that of residents living in Miami, Florida. Think about that. It would be the equivalent of annually adding the population of Pensacola, Florida. Refugee resettlement cost American taxpayers nearly $9 billion every five years. And each refugee costs taxpayers about $133,000 tax dollars, folks, over the course of their lifetime. Within five years, an estimated 16% of all refugees admitted are going to need housing assistance paid for by you-know-what, you-know-who, U.S. taxpayers. The most powerful nation in the United States is actually being picked apart one little piece at a time, and it's being picked apart by the powerful politicians and the bureaucrats who own a bunch of politicians in Washington, D.C. So we hear and see pretty much every day or two or three from President Biden. Where in the heck is Kamala Harris, Vice President? (laughs) You know, she was on that trip to Asia and everybody was waiting with bated breath for her to get back in town. Well, she effectively ghosted the White House when she got back on August 26th. Think about it. Have you seen or heard from her on any newscast or interview or anything since August 26th? Folks, we're at September 8th. We're finishing the first full week of September, and she's been back for almost two weeks. For 12 days, she's remained out of sight, except for one brief ceremony where she swore in U.S. Ambassador to Mexico Ken Salazar last week on Thursday and she didn't take any questions when she did that. On Tuesday she scheduled the meeting with Salazar but she closed the event to the press. She's not appeared publicly standing with Biden since August 20th more than two weeks after he struggled to defend his botched exit from Afghanistan. And during her trip to Asia She earned mockery for reading from her notes when she tried to praise the president for expressing sadness and great emotion in his reaction to the horrific images that were emerging from Afghanistan. Now, on paper, she appears to be doing her vice presidential duties as the White House schedule notes her attendance at the daily briefings and national security meetings on the crisis in Afghanistan. She was also scheduled to participate in a weekly economic briefing last week. However, her schedule, which is available to the general public, hasn't included any mention of her weekly lunch with the president since July 23rd. Well, she's got a big trip, another big trip planned. She's going to um, leave Washington today And she's headed to California 
She's going out there to console all the American people and give them a great view into what life is going to be like now with all of these new refugees coming over from Afghanistan. Nope. She's not going over there to be vice presidential in any way, shape, form, or fashion. She's going over there to campaign for California Gavin Newsom in his bid to not be recalled by California voters. I guess she can go out there and cast her vote because she's still registered as a California voter. Oh my gosh, it, it just gets crazier and crazier. And incidentally, while we're speaking of the vice president, did you know, did you know that a bail fund that she, she didn't initiate herself, but she backed it when she was running for president. That bail fund has paid the bail and freed an alleged domestic abuser who is now accused of murder. His name is George Howard. He's 48 years old. He allegedly got involved in a road rage altercation on I-94 on an entrance ramp before he shot another driver. That's according to Minneapolis cops, weeks after bailing out on domestic assault charges. That fun that Kamala Harris promoted. In fact, she tweeted a big, big tweet. In the tweet, there's a picture in capital letters that says MFF. And her tweet says this, if you're able to, chip in now to the at MN Freedom Fund, MFF, to help post bail for those protesting on the ground in Minnesota. Surveillance video recorded the moments when the driver of a blue BMW confronted Howard. He was driving a white Volvo. The victim can be seen punching Howard, then collapsing. The victim later identified as a guy named Louis Damian Martinez Ortiz, age 38, got back in his car, then drove into the median. He was pronounced dead at the hospital with a gunshot wound to the chest, according to city officials. Howard was out of jail on a $11,500 bond and it was on a domestic assault case and had been out of jail since August 6th. That's when the Minnesota Freedom Fund, touted by our vice president, bailed him out of jail. Three weeks later, he's charged with two counts of second-degree murder in connection with that interstate shooting. Now, on Friday of last week, the Minnesota Freedom Fund tweeted admitting to its role in putting Howard back on the streets. On Tuesday, that thread, that tweet, Twitter thread, was inaccessible. But you can find it. Obviously, some very smart people copied it. And we don't know if Twitter pulled it down or if the MFF pulled it down. We are aware, they said in a, in a news press briefing, we are aware of reports of the tragic and fatal shooting in Minneapolis earlier this week, alleging George Howard, an individual in the Minnesota Freedom Fund, had previously provided with bail support. MFF believes that every individual who's been arrested by the law enforcement is innocent until proven guilty. 
And if a judge deems them eligible for bail, they should not have to wait in jail simply because they don't have the same income or access to resource as others. Of course, you know, he, he, he shot and killed the guy. <laughs> and uh, if he had been in jail, now he was in there for domestic battery. Now, obviously, he was in there on domestic battery because, remember this, innocent until proven guilty. He was awaiting trial, but evidently, there was enough evidence sufficient for a judge to put him in jail and hold him on an amount of bail, a little over 11000 as we said, which is a pretty big deal on a domestic disturbance account. I don't know the facts, but I'm assuming there was enough there to hold him. Whatever happened to, from those on the left, that include people like, um, you know, Kamala Harris, vice president, believe the women. Believe the women. All the time, believe the women. So if that report said that there was violence involved and with an $11,500 bond set, I would assume there was, they would put him back out on the street and would be surprised that he would commit a violent act again. I'm just saying, folks, we're supposed to believe the women, but the political perspective, political expedience is the only thing we need to determine when we make our decisions about what to do and what not to do. Forget about facts. It's everything is based on what's best for us politically. Cars today are computers on wheels. That's it. Uh, the fancy new tech makes our life easier in the car. But when something breaks, can you afford to fix the touchscreen display or the sensor, which can cost thousands of dollars? Most likely, no. That's why I have CarShield. And it takes away the worry and the panic of the expensive repair that you know is coming. CarShield, their protection plans can save you thousands for covered repairs, including everything from an engine, transmission, GPS, electronics, and more. You can have your favorite mechanic or dealership do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary roadside assistance and a rental car. It's inevitable something's going to break. It happens to everybody, including me. So get coverage from America's number one auto protection company like I did and find out why CarShield cars go farther. Rates are as low as $99 a month, so visit carshield.com. Use the promo code iHeart to save 10%. That's carshield.com, promo code iHeart. Deductible may apply. For the health and safety of our guests and team members, we're here for you. That means frequently deep cleaning our stores and wiping down carts and baskets after each use, reserving dedicated shopping hours for our most vulnerable guests, providing masks and gloves to our team members, and offering contactless shopping options through the Target app, like drive-up and same-day delivery. We are here for you now more than ever, and your health and safety is our highest priority. Learn more at Target.com slash a bullseye view. Out for some lays and you face a test. Which tasty chip will be the best? Sour cream and onion smoky barbecue. Cheddar, sour cream, salt, and vinegar too. You sample them all cause the crisp is so good on your lips. Yeah. You left your wallet at home, but now you have a new best friend. The many flavors of Lay's chips. One taste and you're in love.
mentioned the big travesties that we have hanging out there. The Biden administration, the president and his folks have got to deal with. And uh, it's almost like they um, they do it one day at a time. In other words, they'll have one big tragedy that they deal with, one big important thing that consumes all the media time in a room, the oxygen in the media room. Can only do one big story at a time, right? Well, many of us just kind of forgot about the fact and the importance of what came out last week in the August jobs report. It was atrocious, folks. But most of the time when bad things come out, especially economic information about a Democrat, um, when you had, for instance, Barack Obama in the White House and before that, Bill Clinton, um, and now, of course, Joe Biden, the media always give, the Democrats in the White House give them a pass on economic bad news. I mean, look at what happened in Barack Obama's administration, folks. It was horrible. And, of course, every time anybody would bring up something in an interview about it, they always, Joe and Barack, would blame Bush 43. It happened in their administration. And no doubt, the second half of the Bush 43 administration, there were some really bad economic decisions made and therefore some bad outcomes. But anything, it wasn't just money, economy, anything bad that happened in the Obama administration, they blamed it on someone else. And then here's Joe Biden. The media have given him a pass on everything through the first eight months of his administration. But when this jobs report stuff came out, folks, the mainstream media did exactly the opposite, and they're continuing this this week. They're not allowing the bad, very, very bad economic news in the area of jobs from last week. They're not letting him get a pass. Here's kind of a potpourri of how they have handled this, and I'm shocked. I'm shocked at how many of them jumped all over Joe Biden and pointed to him as being the facilitator of this bad economic news. Listen to these. Well, I know some wanted to see a larger number today, and so did I. I know people were looking, and I was hoping for a higher number. Breaking news this morning, the August jobs report is out, and it is a lot worse than we thought. The U.S. economy adding just 235,000 jobs in August, with the unemployment rate now at 5.2%. But that is a lot lower than the 720,000 jobs we expected. So this is really a labor supply constraint. It's a supply constrained economy. The lowest estimate from economists was 375. So they, it was below even uh, the, the worst case scenario for economists. He is expected to speak about the latest jobs report, which was a huge disappointment, frankly, a huge surprise. The economy added just 235,000 jobs. That missed projections by half a million. And then in August, uh, job growth slowed dramatically. Look at what the numbers look like. When you look in the numbers, you can see that 235,000 jobs were added back. That is a big miss. The consensus, John, was for more than 700,000. Even the whisper numbers of a disappointment were 400 or 500,000. So this is a disappointment. Uh, Steve, taking a look at these numbers, 235,000 versus the 720 that was anticipated, that's a really weak number. And you can look at this, the market not selling off a ton of this, but this is terrible news for what it means for the real economy. 
this is a disappointing jobs report. And again, to go back to that point, leisure and hospitality, the previous couple of months, we were like 400000 a month. This month, zero in that sector. Yeah, it's concerning, Connell. The bottom line, no matter how you look at it, is that the economy is slowing and we have to figure out why that is um, as we head into the fall. It should be picking up. It should be on an upswing. So that is concerning. Back with breaking news, the August jobs report crossed just moments ago. The United States economy added 235,000 new jobs, around 720 thousand had been expected. Joining us now, NBC News senior business correspondent, MSNBC anchor who follows us here, Stephanie Rule. Steph, help me out with this number. 235,000 jobs added versus a projection of 720,000. What happened? And coming after July when we had over 900,000. Huge slowdown, Willie. Yes, we are still in an economic recovery. But for those who thought we are booming, we are racing, we're absolutely not seeing what we thought we were going to see. So, included in those reports you just heard were CNN, MSNBC, NBC, CNBC, and sandwiched in the middle was one Fox report. The surprise there, of course, is that all the mainstream media that have about everything in the Biden administration, everything that has been negative, and let's be honest with each other, folks, there's a whole lot of negativism that's been happening across the spectrum of everything to do in our nation since Joe Biden became president. This is the first time that there is a glimpse that maybe, oh maybe, The honeymoon between this administration, this president, and the mainstream media is over. I I would love for it to be over, and it doesn't matter to me who is in the White House. If it's a Republican, if it's a Democrat, if it's independent, I don't care. They don't deserve honeymoons. They need to hit the ground running day one and roll out all of the promises, the things that Americans chose them to serve because of and start getting it done. No honeymoon. When they make bad choices, hold them accountable. Report to the American people and instruct the American people and give the American people a voice so that they can go after our elected political folks whenever they mess up and do something or don't do something, as the case may be. It looks like the honeymoon is maybe over between the media and Joe Biden. We'll we'll watch. It should be based upon that jobs report. As we've been saying all along, it's bleaker than it seems. When it comes to job stuff, employment, and all that kind of stuff, the numbers come two months or so after all of the downturn actually began. And in this case, what that means is the next jobs report probably will be even worse worse. So one thing we want to mention, folks, we never want to gloss over people that are getting killed across our nation, especially when it comes to the hands of uh, gangs and terrorism activities in some of our major cities. At least 63 people were shot, six of them fatally during Labor Day weekend in Chicago on on Mayor Lori Lightfoot's watch. The Chicago Sun-Times noted 16 people were shot in Chicago between Friday and Saturday afternoon. Another report, 24 people were shot Saturday night into Sunday morning. By Monday morning, 
the number of shooting victims had reached at least 57, with four of those dying from their wounds. That continues a violent pattern that has been dominant in the city despite restrictive gun laws. Tuesday morning, ABC 7, Chicago Times pointed out there were at least 63 shooting victims in total. Six died after being shot. Six kids were shot just in 12 hours from Saturday night into Sunday morning. A four-year-old boy visiting Chicago with his mother was shot in the head twice and died on Friday. Another observed that 14 people have been shot and killed in Chicago during September of this year. And another 89 people have been shot and wounded. This is craziness. This is craziness. Again, if, if you're the mayor, if you're in any government position in a situation like this, what do you do? You don't just sit by and watch something like this happen month after month, weekend after weekend in the case of Chicago. you got to find out what the problems are and make changes. And folks, in this situation, the changes are happening. Absolutely, they're happening. But they're not, the changes that are happening are not by the mayor's administration. The thugs that are killing people are morphing their plans and their processes and enabling themselves to commit more shootings and killing more people. Definition of insanity doing the same things over and over and over again and expecting different results. Lori Lightfoot, it almost appears like she's thrown in the towel. She's done. She's letting this stuff continue to happen. Meanwhile, residents of Chicago are the principal ones paying the price. What's going to happen there? And looking at Chicago, it's really bad there. It's not quite as bad in some of our other larger cities, folks, but Los Angeles, San Francisco, Philadelphia, other big cities having similar problems in the area of crime. It always heightens during the summer months. Maybe it's the weather. Maybe it's because schools are out. I don't know. I can't get a handle on it. But you just cannot let this devastation, the taking of lives, you just cannot allow it to continue. And there are things that could be done. The federal government could step in and help. But Lightfoot so far, during the Trump administration, she spurned that. Uh, President Trump offered federal officials to help her. Nope. Don't you come to our city. Basically, she's saying is, uh, we're just going to let people continue to get shot and die. COVID news. Well, let me give you a few of these. From Tucson, Arizona. They actually had a COVID-19 vaccine mandate in Tucson, but they stopped it yesterday. They paused a mandate that ordered employees to get a COVID-19 vaccine or face five days of suspension and some other discipline. They did so when their attorney general in Arizona, yesterday he said that the mandate that was imposed last month statewide was illegal because it violated an executive order the Governor Doug Ducey unveiled earlier this year, in addition to one state law that is set to go into effect later this month. A.G. Mark Bronovich warned Tucson officials that unless the mandate was canceled, he would proceed with directing 
the state treasurer to withhold the city's portion of state-shared revenue until officials in Tucson halted the policy. The revenue for the current fiscal year was estimated at more than $175 million. Tucson officials released this statement by the city, decried the finding by the AG's office, but said they're going to pause the policy at least for now. Tucson Mayor Regina Romero, who's a Democrat, claimed that Bronovich, who's a Republican running for the Senate, is prioritizing his political ambitions over his responsibility to objectively interpret the law. But Tucson City Manager Michael Ortega admitted officials weren't sure whether the mandate was legal. Until we have a better understanding of our legal position in relationship to this report, I have instructed staff to pause on the implementation of the policy. The governor there in Arizona, Ducey, is a Republican. He issued an order in April banning these so-called vaccine passports. The order prohibited state agencies, counties, cities, and towns from requiring proof of COVID-19 vaccination in order to enter or receive any government service. Tucson, however, they put in their own mandate August of this year, ordering all employees to provide proof of vaccination by August 24th or face discipline. Ducey then said a new order that state law does not allow a city, town, or county to impose vaccine mandates and said his previous order made clear such policies weren't allowed. So, it looks like COVID passport, COVID vaccination, do it or don't do it, has turned into a government thing state by state. And it's going to continue to be this, folks. I don't know what the fix is, and very few people know. There are a lot of opinions out there, but nobody knows for sure what's going to happen, what can be done and implemented legally, and what cannot. Meanwhile, that was Arizona. What about up in Michigan? A group of 51 employees of a Detroit healthcare organization have filed a lawsuit challenging their employer's COVID-19 vaccine mandate. The lawsuit argues that the Henry Ford Health System, which is a big one, folks, violated the plaintiff's right to bodily autonomy and right to reject medical treatment under interpretations of the Constitution's 14th Amendment. The lawsuit is asking a court to declare the mandate unconstitutional and therefore unenforceable. This health system's official announcement came on June 29th, advising staff and contractors to get vaccinated by the 10th of September. Advising staff management warned that those who don't get vaccinated by the deadline would face suspension and be given until October 1st to get the vaccine. If you remember, employees down at Methodist Hospital in Houston, Texas, they were given the same order, get vaccinated or else. They went to court. It went to state court. The court upheld the hospital's mandate, saying it was constitutional according to Texas law, and then it's been appealed in the Texas court system to a uh, an appeals court, and then from there, if it's appealed again, it would go into federal court. This is going to happen state by state by state. I promise you, it's going to be a long, drawn-out battle, and it's going to create pandemonium for many people. Not a health system, 
Well, what about a police force? Seattle, Washington. They're, they've been just blasted by the defund the police movement. It started in Minneapolis and then immediately, almost simultaneously, moved to Seattle. They are looking down the throats of losing 200 more officers over the police force's very own vaccine mandate. The officers there face termination because they've either not gotten a jab or would refuse to hand over their private medical data. The Jason Rants show on the city's KTTH said the number represents about 20% of the department's staff. The department of Mayor Jenny Durkin's office didn't want to talk about it and haven't said anything publicly. According to the report, the Seattle Police Department has already lost about 300 officers since the big push-up there last year to defund the police. They're now staffed at record lows not seen since the 1980s. <laughs> Again, this insanity, it just continues, and it's going to keep going and going and going. Now, what have we not talked about today? We haven't, we've mentioned Afghanistan, but just barely. On Tuesday's Hugh Hewitt show, Representative Bill Haggerty, who's a senator, I said representative, he's a U.S. senator from Tennessee, he argued that the Biden administration has made a conscious decision to avoid giving us hard numbers about the situation in Afghanistan. And still, he, he said he still hadn't heard back from the DOD on an inventory of equipment left behind in Afghanistan. He would ask, we don't get any hard numbers from state, defense, Ron Klain, to the president. Is that conscious on their part? And the senator said, I got to believe so. I've reached out with my colleagues to get hard numbers on another item that I know concerns you as much as it does me, and that is the inventory of equipment we left behind. Some of the world's highest grade military equipment is still in Afghanistan, whether it was dropped by the Afghan army or left behind by the U.S. military, we've got billions of dollars in equipment over there. I've reached out to Secretary Austin, Secretary of Defense. I still haven't heard back from him to get a complete inventory of what was sent over there, what's been removed, what's been disabled, what remains there. You know what else is missing? We don't know how many Americans are still over there. We have people, volunteers, private citizens that have put together plans and chartered planes and have been moving combination of our friendly Afghan folks and American citizens out. And they're even telling us the number that was given by the Biden administration of Americans left, a hundred or fewer, that it's off by hundreds. And then there's this, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. He said all American citizens who wanted to leave Afghanistan have made it out. I don't know where he gets that number. He has no clue. The Americans, all of whom who wanted to come out, have come out. Praise God, he said. But there are a lot of Afghans who risked their lives for our soldiers and others. Many got out, some didn't. He went on to say that not all Afghan allies have made it out. His office is in the process of helping many of them to get out of Afghanistan by going across land. I'm still working on trying to get some of them out. There's an orchestra of young people that's co-ed, he said. The Taliban hates them. 
They hate music. They hate boys and girls performing. We tried to get them out. I spoke to General Milley about a number of different cases, including that one. They got up to the gate, and a Taliban checkpoint turned them back. So now the hope is we can figure out a way. You know what? The hypocrisy in all of this, it's just mind-boggling. I, I, I just don't understand it. I can't accept it. But they just keep doubling down on lie after lie after lie after lie. One right after another. You know who Johnny Jones is. He's the guy you see often. He's, a I think, a Fox News contributor. He's the guy from the military that lost both his legs. Well, yesterday he weighed in on the Biden situation as it pertains to Afghanistan and the unbelievable chaos that ensued over the way that the Biden administration pulled Americans and our military and supposedly our private citizens pulled them out of Afghanistan. And we have so many missing things now, very important things. We don't know how many people are still there. We don't know how many of our Afghan allies are there. We basically don't know what in the heck is going on. And yet they keep telling us, they give us all these facts, so-called facts, and they represent that they're truths. And just as always, we find out later what we're being told is anything but the truth. And I couldn't imagine being there either on that flight line in Kabul or sitting on a base somewhere here knowing you could be called up next and know that th this is who's going to have your back or more importantly, who isn't. And listen, th on the excuses part, this is the only president really that did not inherit this war. Yeah. Right. Because, I mean, even with George W. Bush, you could say it's the incompetence of Bill Clinton that could have squashed this thing to begin with mm -hmm. and, and pretended to try. But Joe Biden was vice president. He, he helped preside over the, the, the disaster that was Iraq. Mm -hmm. He opposed the troop surge, which was the second time we ran the Taliban out of the country just for Obama to claim victory for 2012, not actually win the war. Right. I know that well. I sacrificed a couple of legs for that. You're welcome, Obama. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. hey, I'll give that to you, bud. But at the end of the day, this guy was vice president for eight years of this war, and you want to say you inherited a situation? <laughs> like, come on, man. Come on, man. <laughs> Using one of Joe Biden's on phrases himself, Johnny Jones. But boy, he hit the nail on the head. You just have no ability to trust that any anybody, especially our military, that this administration has your back. When you look at the history of Jake Sullivan, Joe Biden himself, uh, Secretary of Defense Lord Oyston, uh, Lloyd Austin, and um, even General Milley, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, they all have histories, and the history they have isn't good. Expecting different results is not smart, but paying the price are a lot of Americans and a lot of people that trusted our government and our promises. Real Truth, Real News, TNN, The Truth News Network. Unforgettable, that's what you are. to Ton perfume, like the memory of a beautiful song, lingers on and on. du Ton perfume, the classic French fragrance that you can wear anywhere, anytime, makes you unforgettable. L'Air du Temps Perfume by Nina Ricci. 
Join a community of online learning and find your bright future at the American Women's College of Bay Path University. Getting your college education doesn't necessarily make it so you have different self-worth or you mean more. There's so many different roads you can take. But if you have the feeling that you want it, go get it. The American Women's College is supportive and kind, and what you've created has changed lives, and I'm so grateful that I can say I've been part of it. Enrolling now for September and November at baypath.edu slash future. Locked and Loaded with Truth Ammo. Taking aim at the problem, it's Dan Newman. Bottom line is Americans do not trust this president, especially when it comes to things about Afghanistan, about illegal immigration, now about our economy. And when you, when you catch somebody lying, folks, you can't ever feel comfortable in believing anything they tell you is factual. And doing so, giving them a second, a third, a fourth chance, most often what that does, it bites you in the booty. When it comes to the military, folks, now, according to Rasmussen, more than half of us rate Joe Biden's handling of Afghanistan as poor, his approval numbers have plummeted, and we don't have a clue of how many of our fellow citizens are still in danger in Afghanistan. You guys have a great day. Don't forget, back tomorrow morning, 9 to 11 a.m., every weekday, TNN Live. See ya. When I'm-